Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that escaped convict, Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That is Blank is the killer. Hello. Welcome to the fourth installment of Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast birthed from the silly idea of watching a horror movie that is new to me every day in October. I have a lot to blabber on about this week, so buckle your pants and crank the volume to a reasonable level. I don't want anyone getting tinnitus. Number one, Bride of Frankenstein, 1935, directed by James Whale. Mary Shelley begins telling some chaps how the story of Frankenstein continues. We are now in the movie, which starts off right where the first left off. The monster is thought to be dead after the windmill he was on burned down. He's alive though, and kills some peeps. Baron Frankenstein is also still alive somehow? He gets a visit from Dr. Pretorius. Dr. P wants the Baron to help him create a woman. Baron says no. The monster walks through a forest, gets captured, escapes the chains due to being super jacked, then hangs out with a blind monk. They become best friends. The monk teaches the monster the joys of drinking and smoking. They have a chill sesh, which is rudely interrupted by some dudes who attack the monster, causing him to accidentally burn down the monk's hut. And then one of the dudes throws the monk over his shoulder and steals him. The monster is chased off. He hides in a tomb and meets Dr. P. They become friends and the monster becomes the muscle for Dr. P, who is now able to, to force the Baron to help him make a lady after the monster steals the Baroness. A murderer is sent out to get a last-minute heart, and a bride is brought to life. She hates the monster and screams at him. Since the bride hates the monster, he decides to blow up the castle instead of spending another minute in the friend zone. The monster allows the Baron Frankenstein and his Baroness to escape and kills everyone else by pulling a curious lever that for some reason causes enough energy to surge and blow up the tower. Why do they even install that lever? Anyways, the monster, and to no one's surprise, one of the murderer assistants employed by Dr. P are the killers. This is the shortest movie I've watched this month, coming in at only 75 minutes, but it's packed to the brim with fun. My favorite part of the movie is the monster and monk friendship time, which reminded me of Maniac Cop 2. It's just minutes of two dudes burrowing down with some drink and smokes playing music. The monk is a terrible influence though, since after this meeting, all the monster wants to do is drink, smoke, and create ladies. Other things that I enjoyed were the monster slapping people over and the bride showing up for two seconds at the end only to scream multiple times at the monster. She's alive in the movie for all of five minutes and her dialogue is literally just screams there's a part in the movie where dr p shows the bear in his collection of tiny people in jars he somehow created with science there's a queen king bishop 
and Devil all hanging out alive in these little glass containers. The effect is incredibly well done, especially given when the movie was released. It was done by filming the actors in huge jars against black velvet. The film was then meticulously crafted together to match up the actors in big jars with Dr. P and his regular sized jars on set. The sets, art direction, and sound design in this film are all incredible. The whole laboratory sequence is especially awe-inspiring with all the amazing gadgets and surging electricity. The film was supposed to have about twice the number of deaths, but was censored down to around 10 on and off screen deaths. This was the great Boris Karloff's second time portraying the monster. He ended up breaking a hip while shooting the beginning sequence with the water, but powered through to complete the film. I had a great time watching this film. I have a confession. The only Universal Monster movies I've seen so far are this one and Son of Frankenstein, but I have heavily enjoyed both. I'll probably try to check out some more before the month is over. I highly recommend getting together with friends and watching Bride of Frankenstein. Number 2, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, 1994, directed by Wes Craven. Heather Langenkamp, the actress who played Nancy in Nightmare on Elm Street and the third installment Dream Warriors, wakes up after having a nightmare where two special effects artists are killed by a mechanical Freddy Krueger hand. She has a kid named Dylan and a husband named Chase. There are a bunch of earthquakes going on for some reason. Heather is getting creepy calls from a stalker that sounds like Freddy Krueger. Chase goes to work, and Heather does an interview where Robert England pops up. They chat, then she gets called to New Line Cinema to talk about doing another Elm Street movie. She learns Chase has been secretly working on it. Back at home, Dylan freaks out, which causes Heather to summon her husband home. Chase falls asleep at the wheel and is slashed in the chest by Freddy, causing a crash that kills him. Both Heather and Dylan's encounters with Freddy increase. Heather goes to see Wes Craven, who basically says she needs to stop an ancient evil that is taken on the form of Freddy Krueger from coming back to this world. Dylan is taken to the hospital for acting even crazier. The news confirms the special effects guys from the beginning dream are dead. Dylan's babysitter is killed by Freddy. Dylan sleepwalks home with Heather in pursuit. Heather follows a trail of sleeping pills and takes some to join Dylan in the sleep realm. She goes under the covers of his bed, which turns into a slide to Freddy's lair. They fight Freddy and defeat him with fire. Freddy Krueger, technically the ancient evil that takes his form, is the killer. This is probably one of the most meta movies of all time. It's a movie about the life of an actress that was in the movie being asked to be in the new movie, which ends up being the plot of this movie. I have always thought Heather Langenkamp's acting is horrendous. I really do not understand why she's the one that keeps being brought back in these movies. Her acting is incredibly flat, and you never believe that she's actually scared or distressed. Luckily, Wes Craven has Nev Campbell in his next series, Scream, since she can actually act. The child actor that plays Dylan was the kid in Pet Cemetery and also Kindergarten Cop. I don't remember him being a good child actor in those movies, but oh man is his acting terrible in this one. I can't think of a more unnatural kid, except maybe the kid that played Dexter's son. Anyone remember that scene where Awkward Child and Dexter falls off the treadmill? I feel like they definitely should have cast a different, possibly older kid for this role. Or not, because I'm not even sure what this movie wanted to be. I feel at points it was trying to be a darker film like the first one, 
but overall it seems like maybe it was trying to be a full-blown comedy that just needed to be a little more self-aware. For a comedy, the kid is fantastic. He's hilarious. His reaction in the scene where he watches Julie the babysitter die is probably one of the funniest things I have ever seen. It reminded me of the scene in Jumanji where the hunter screams after being hit by the boat trap. Before watching New Nightmare, the most recent Elm Street movie that I watched was Dream Warriors, which is considered to be one of the best in the series. Dream Warriors has crazy sequences, unique kills, and amazing practical effects. This movie has four kills. Four. Two of which are shown in the first five minutes. All of the kills are basically just glove slashes and stabs. They are incredibly boring. They aren't well done. It's baffling. Normally the kills make up for the lame plot and acting, but not in this movie. Freddy Krueger has a new design, which is awful. He has a trench coat, calf-high combat boots, and the worst face of the entire franchise. We did not need edgy Freddy. I guess the new animatronic hand did look kind of cool though. If you've ever wondered how Cheez-Its are made, they get a bunch of plain crackers at a factory, sit them down at a small movie theater with seats for bite-sized snacks, then play this movie. It's a complete cheese fest and not in a good way. At times, the music sounds like what you would hear if you walked into a store and hit demo on a cheap keyboard. The set designs are also extra cheesy. When Heather finally arrives in Freddy's lair, I thought the set looked cool for two seconds. But then I saw that it's littered with the crappiest looking fake pillars with awful plastic plants covering them. There is a classic Freddy bitchism in this one. Heather falls into a pot which breaks revealing snakes. Freddy grabs her and says, Pick a pet for the Rugrat, bitch. Everyone knows pot snakes make wonderful pets for small children. There's a part in the movie where the babysitter, Julie, is told to keep Dylan awake. Two nurses come in to sedate him. She clocks one of the nurses in the jaw, knocking her down, while the other sedates Dylan with a syringe. Julie then threatens to stick the other nurse with a random syringe if she doesn't leave them alone. Heather must be paying the babysitter pretty well for her to assault nurses that are only doing their job at the drop of a hat. I feel like I needed to watch this since I've seen every other movie in the series. It was a neat premise and cool to see a bunch of actors from the movies, studio heads, and Wes Craven playing themselves. I don't recommend it though. Only watch this if you have seen every other movie and are a completionist. Watch any other Elm Street movie instead, or if you are really jonesing for a movie where there is a different world accessed by sliding into underbed portals, watch Little Monsters with Fred Savage and Howie Mandel. Number 3, Prevenge, 2017, directed by Alice Lowe. After losing her partner who was cut off the safety line while cliffside rock climbing in order to save the others on the line, a pregnant woman named Ruth starts offing the survivors at the behest of her unborn daughter. She easily kills the first three, has to kill a nice guy witness after she takes out the fourth, almost gets caught by police after murdering the fifth. When she finally gets to the final victim, the instructor of the climbing team, he talks her out of killing him. Ruth then has her baby, whom no longer talks like she did in the womb. Ruth goes to the site of her partner's death, where she sees the instructor hanging out. The movie fades to black as Ruth throws up her arms to attack the instructor. Ruth and an alleged group decision to cut a man off a safety line are the killers. This movie was not only directed by Alice Lowe, she also wrote and starred as the main character, which is incredibly impressive. Not only did she put on all those hats, she wore them well. Most of the time when a director decides to act in their movie, it doesn't go well. See Wes Craven's New Nightmare. 
but I really enjoyed her performance. There was a real beautiful shot of tears landing on her pregnant stomach, which I thought set a nice starting place for the character. That's not to say the whole movie is depressing. The movie is a comedy and has some pretty funny bits and jokes throughout. One of the funniest scenes is where Ruth is in a woman named Len's house. Ruth makes her murderous intentions clear. Len runs around the corner. Ruth takes out a knife and after rounding the corner, sees that Len has put on boxing gloves. Len jabs Ruth a few times in the face before being stabbed in the gut. It was very surreal. I don't know about you, but I think the last thing I would try to defend myself with when there's an attacker in my home would be boxing gloves. The music is fantastic throughout. The score was done by a duo that goes by the name Toy Drum. It's synthy, which I know is being done a lot these days, but it's unique enough and matches the tones and beats of the film perfectly. I did like that not all of the people that were killed were terrible sleazeballs. A lot of the time in these revenge flicks, the people the main character is exacting their murderous revenge on are completely evil, which automatically makes the main character some sort of cool vigilante. In this movie, Ruth kills some people that don't seem that bad and one person that is completely innocent. Her reasoning for killing these people isn't even that solid. All of this makes her character more interesting. Don't worry, you will still get to see some great misogynist deaths. The gore in this movie is well done and practical. Most of the kills are throat slits, but you will also be delighted by a severed penis and the top of a statue being jammed and broken off in an eye socket. It's a fun film that hits on the very real fear of how having a baby can change your life. Will your potential baby ruin your life by making you kill people to avenge a loved one's death? No one knows for sure. Number 4. Sadako vs. Kayako, 2016, directed by Koji Shireshi. Two college girls get a hold of the one and only cursed videotape that summons an evil spirit named Sadako. Anyone who watches the video dies in two days. One of the girls, Natsumi, watches the video, while her friend Yuri misses it due to texting. Sometimes texting during a movie can save your life, I guess. A high school girl named Suzuka has her own story going on at the same time. She is being beckoned to a haunted house that contains the evil spirits of Toshio and the much deadlier Kayako which kill anyone who enters, including four little boys who end up in it later in the movie. The college girls talk to their professor, who is an expert when it comes to the cursed tape. He watches it and takes them to a priestess who tries to exercise the video watchers. It doesn't go well. People die, including the priestess who had contacted Kaiko, a supernatural fighting superstar, preemptively in case of her demise. Yuri watches the tape after making Natsumi hand it to her, thinking that doing this would remove the curse from Natsumi. They are now both cursed. Kaiko and his assistant show up and come up with a plan to have Sadako fight Kayako. Natsumi tries to kill herself, but Sadako murders her before she can. Suzuka goes into the house. She is saved by her parents sacrificing themselves. Kaiko shows up and tells her the plan. Yuri and Suzuka go into the house as bait. Suzuka watches the video. The spirits fight and end up combining into a super spirit a la a Dragon Ball Z type fusion. Everyone but Kaiko's assistant and Suzuka dies before the screen fades to black after the reveal of the new merged spirit. Sadako, Kayako, and Toshio are the killers. One of the first horror movies I saw in theaters was the American remake of The Grudge with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Little me thought it was pretty spooky, especially that attic scene. I watched the Japanese version a few years later. 
The sound that the spirit Kayako makes is incredibly chilling. I've never watched any of the Ring films, but knew the basic idea coming into this movie. The premise is pretty ridiculous, which made me have to check this one out. As always with these types of film, the spirits are incredibly creepy. You wouldn't think ghosts of Japanese girls and a boy would be that scary, but something about the irregular way they move and the sounds they make raises the hair on the back of my neck. The spirits are mostly done without relying too heavily on animated effects. The one scene that would have turned out a lot better without the CGI would have been the merging of Sarako and Kayako. If they had looked more like something practical out of the thing when merging, that scene would have been exponentially better and would have resonated a lot more with me. When the spirits are fusing together, the shape they form is still gross and well designed. It gives off an Akira slash Cronenberg vibe. I expected this movie to be a lot funnier than it is. The ridiculous over-the-top character of Kaiko was humorous, but for the most part, the film just plays like a quicker version of the two stories, with a very brief fight scene thrown in at the end. If you haven't seen The Grudge of the Ring and are looking for a quick way to watch both, this is the movie for you. If you want the full experiences, I'd recommend sticking to the individual films. This versus movie is fun, but the fight scene and fusion are given so little screen time that I felt like I wasn't given everything I'd been promised. Number 5, Lake Nowhere, 2014, directed by Christopher Phelps and Maxim Van Scoy. After some made-for-the-movie trailers play, a group of friends arrive at a cabin near a lake. They all start hanging out while one of the guys named Danny gets naked and goes for a swim. We see him strangely get pulled under the water. Back at the cabin, the friends are parting it up. Danny comes back still naked and bluish. The gang puts him to sleep. A girl named Bonnie wakes up to the sounds of Danny eating her dog. She freaks out as one does, and Danny smashes her face multiple times into a wall. The others come to her aid, and a character named Gary shoots Danny, allegedly killing him. The goobers can't find the keys to the Winnebago they arrived in. While scrambling around, a masked character shows up and starts offing people, along with Danny who wasn't actually killed. All of the characters are killed and ceremoniously laid in a lake except for Bonnie. She is shown to be alive and recites a strange thing she read on a tombstone earlier in the movie, which makes the masked man go into the water where he is drowned by ghost hands. Bonnie is then shown to be the new blue evil. Danny and the masked man are the killers. This movie encapsulates the feeling of old VHS horror movies. The way that it was put together makes it visually look like an old VHS tape, with the wavy lines on the screen, random skips, and little clips recorded over the normal movie. It's an incredibly short film coming in at only 50 minutes, which beats out Bride of Frankenstein for being the shortest movie I've seen this month. It's basically a slasher done quick. You meet the friends who basically all fall into a trope character role, then the murdering starts. What's shown on screen is nothing incredibly special story-wise. There is a sequence at the end that has the masked guys ceremoniously putting corpses in the lake, which felt out of place and slow given the fast-paced nature of the rest of the movie. I think the haunted lake could have been shown in a more interesting way, maybe by showing the arms pulling Danny down when he originally went underwater. The ending doesn't make a lot of sense either. It seems like the lake has to have someone to feed it dead bodies, and by reciting some words you can become the new killer and allow the old one to finally die. I'm not 100% sure on that. And if that's what they were going for, I didn't love it. The gore effects are practical, good, and silly with the low budget feel. For example, a guy is hung from a tree branch by the masked man, 
The masked man then takes his machete and makes a cut along the guy's stomach, disemboweling him. But instead of intestines falling out, it looks like the cut was made into a bag of ground-up meat mixed with fake blood. It worked for me and was fun to see. I find some of my favorite practical gore effects to be the ones done in low-budget movies because of all the creativity and MacGyvering that's put into them. The movie is short and nails VHS vibes. If you want a slasher but are short on time, it may be worth looking into. Number 6. Happy Death Day, 2017, directed by Christopher B. Landon. Since this movie just came out, the short of it is I think it is super fun and recommend seeing it. If you don't want anything spoiled, skip to 25 minutes and 19 seconds for the next movie. Alright, here we go. A girl called Tree, short for Teresa, wakes up in a dorm room of a nerdy boy named Carter after getting blackout drunk the night before. She goes on with the rest of her day being a jerk to everyone and is killed at the end by a figure in a hoodie wearing a baby mask. The mascot for the college that Tree attends is a baby. Babies are a great mascot. Go get em, babies. When Tree dies, she wakes up in the dorm room to start everything over. She makes it to her surprise party on day two and is murdered again. Day three, she tries the barricade yourself in a room method, murdered. Day four, she starts being nice to Carter and tries to figure out who the killer is. After multiple deaths, she thinks she has figured out that the serial killer that killed her mother is the culprit. After another death, to save some people who died in the run-through where she figures this out, kind of like dying to load an autosave after you mess up in a video game, Tree has a perfect day where she does everything correctly and ends up killing the serial killer named John Toombs. She eats a cupcake that her roommate has given her every day for the first time to celebrate with Carter and goes to sleep. Boom. Back in the dorm room. But why? Tree realizes that she must have died in her sleep from eating the cupcake, which was poisoned. After confronting her roommate, the poison cupcake is confirmed. The roommate's motive is about a boy, which is dumb and called out by Tree. Tree fights the roommate and kicks her out of their second story bedroom window, killing her, thus ending the loop and becoming a better person. Tree is the killer, technically. None of the other deaths stuck because of the loop. When I originally heard about this movie, I was excited for it. Groundhog's Day 2, The Murdering. Before I got a chance to see it, I started hearing that a lot of reviewers weren't digging the movie. After seeing it, I thought it was fantastic. It reminds me heavily of the show Scream Queens, which I highly recommend. Well, the first season at least. Is this movie going to be a classic that I re-watch anytime it's on? Not even close, but it was some of the most fun I've had at the movie theater in a long time. It's actually funny and had well-written dialogue. When these college kids are talking to each other, it feels like things you would actually hear people say, for the most part. There are some overcharacterizations, but I love the dialogue in this movie. It also only uses about one jump scare during the first death. After that, jump scares are not really present. The acting was good enough for me across the board. The main actress did a fantastic job. I didn't even realize this movie was PG-13. There isn't a lot of gore in this movie, but gore didn't feel necessary due to the premise. Gore would mostly come from seeing Tree's body after she's murdered, but instead of having time to dwell on that, whenever she dies, we are right back in the dorm room. Now, does Tree do some dumb things that make the viewer go, Come on! Of course she does. 
As a viewer, you'll think of a ton of better ways to try and handle the situation, but the most notable stupid idiot moment in the movie is when instead of warning the guard that is stationed outside of John Toombs' room at the hospital that Toombs' restraints are loosened and he's going to escape, Tree threatens the cop and steals his gun, which she doesn't know how to use. Besides that, most of what Tree does makes sense. Now for some random thoughts. During the introduction of the Universal logo, the logo is rewound and played three times, which is a nice gag. The movie actually has a funny fart joke in it. Throughout the movie, you are waiting for someone to acknowledge Groundhog's Day, and surely enough, Carter brings it up at the very end. This was a really fun one that came from the Christopher B. Landon, who wrote Disturbia and the Paranormal Activities. Happy Death Day has got some plot issues and inconsistencies, but a ton of charm. I highly recommend watching this and Season 1 of Scream Queens, unless you absolutely hate college settings. While at the theater, I ran into Austin. I gave him up to 30 seconds to give his thoughts on the film in the segment 30 Seconds to Live, filmed outside the theater with my phone edition. Austin? So yeah, Groundhog Day, you know, uh, except where Bill Murray actually dies at the end. Uh, <laughs> it's actually a really fun movie. I really enjoyed it. It was, um, if you hate college movies, probably don't see it just cause there's tons of college humor. But if you like seeing college kids die, then probably go see it. Uh, it was really great. Um, yeah. Groundhog day. Uh, it was, it was, it was awesome. Dead. Number seven, Baghead, 2008 by J and Mark Duplass. After seeing their friend debut a movie at a festival, Four actors that aren't getting work decide to go to a cabin to knock out a script that has roles for each of them. While there, a guy with a bag on his head is seen by one of the girls named Michelle. Michelle tells everyone about the guy, thinking it was a dream. The group starts writing a movie about the baghead killer. The loser character named Chad has the hots for Michelle and absolutely no chance of getting her. Michelle wants to get with Matt, who is trying to get back with his ex, Catherine. Michelle sneaks Matt a note that says to come up to her room. A guy with a bag on his head shows up. Michelle thinks it's Matt, but Matt never went up to her room. The rest of the movie, you think there might be a killer. Then there isn't. But there might be. Then there is. The group is chased by a man with a bag on his head. The bag-headed man kills Matt, and Chad gets hit by a truck trying to get help. It's then revealed that the director friend is the bad guy. Matt is alive, and they film the whole thing. Chad is also still alive. No one is the killer. This movie is shot kind of like a documentary with a handheld camera shoved into whoever is on screen at that time's face. The way it's shot made me almost nauseous. Everything is shot with close-ups and unnecessary zoom-ins. Out of all the movies I've seen this month so far, this one is definitely the biggest waste of time. It's not really a horror movie. It's mostly a movie about friends' interactions and a sad boy. The characters are given loads of time to develop, but at the end of the film, I couldn't have cared less about them. The acting is fine for the most part, and it does feel kind of realish. That's really all the positives I have for this one. It's basically a more garbage version of The Village, a movie I didn't like at all. I don't even want to waste more time complaining about Baghead. Don't watch this. If you want to see a movie that is trying to be as real as it can be while also being engaging and absolutely horrifying, watch Kids by Harmony Corrin. It's not a horror movie per se, but definitely has some frightening stuff and is scarier than this film. And that wraps up week 4 of Blank is the Killer. 28 movies so far. I can barely believe it. 
Next week is going to be a little different since there are only three never-seen-by-me movies left. I honestly haven't fully decided what I plan on doing, but I think I'll probably gush about some movies I really enjoy, which will probably kill all of my credibility. Uh, I see some TV shows being thrown into the mix as well. Who knows? I might even get a little self-indulgent and talk about The Bloody Reuben more in depth. I can promise you three more movies in the horror genre at the very least. I'd like to thank Sticker Fridge for hosting Blank is the Killer on iTunes. If you like movies, which I'm willing to bet you do, go listen to their offerings and check out their videos too. Search Sticker Fridge to get sticky with them. I just invented that. You guys can use it if you like it. You've been listening to myself, Josh Baker, the skeleton inside you. Vomit feedback into my mouth like a mother bird to her child and tune in next week for another dastardly episode of... Blank is the killer. Arriva Durchie.